in March of 2020 when COVID-19 was declared a pandemic. Former White House occupant, as I said earlier, attempted to link the deadly virus to the people of China. A lot of racism uh, stuff, incidences of racist attacks against Asian Americans on the uptick um, just last year. Um, uh, 3,300 incidences. This is as of March um, 16th, Tuesday, March 16th. It's a much higher number than last year's count of 2,600 hate crimes nationwide over the span of five months. These hate incidences include everything from shunning and slurs to physical attacks and murders. A disproportionate number of attacks have been directed at women. Women made up a far higher share of the reports at 68% compared to men who made up 29% of respondents. Uh, let us go now to a clip of a, a woman an Asian background, an elderly woman in the Bay Area who wasn't going to have it. She basically sent her attacker uh, to the hospital. Let us hear a bit of that story right now. Good evening. I'm Ken Bastida. And I'm Elizabeth Cook. Now at 11 and streaming on CBSN Bay Area. About two hours ago, we spoke exclusively with the Asian woman who attacked her attacker in San Francisco. This comes after several violent encounters in the city and Oakland just yesterday targeting Asians. KPI X5's Andrea Nakano joins us now with the exclusive interview. Andrea? Yeah, surrounded by her family, 76-year-old Xiao Shenshe was quite shaken up. She says this attack was completely unprovoked, and her first instinct was to fight back. I was very scared and traumatized and really hurt, and, and this eye still breathing. From her senior retirement home in San Francisco, Xiao Shenshe candidly talked about the attack and her injuries, with her daughter helping to translate. The red eye still cannot see anything, still breathing. So you a lot of the something to absorb the breathing. The attack happened just around 10 this morning on Market and 7th Street. Xiao Shenshe says she was just waiting at the traffic light, and then the suspect punched her in her left eye. Immediately, her instincts kicked in to defend herself. While she suffered injuries and required medical attention, it was her attacker that ended up on the stretcher. By the state, uh, for around, around the, the area, and, and fight back. Xiao Shenxie's daughter says her mother cannot see at all out of her left eye and hasn't been able to eat. The hope is time will heal the physical and emotional wounds, but this incident is one that has scarred her for life. As you can see, she is extremely terrified. She's terrified to even step out. Xiao Shenxie has lived in San Francisco for 26 years and just cannot believe what happened to her today, Liz. It is heartbreaking to see how traumatized she is, but amazing, too, that she was able to fight back the way that she did. But your heart just goes out to her and her whole family and hope that she does make a speedy recovery. 
Yes, and also setting the context for our discussion uh, before we welcome our guests. We know that on March 16th, a series of mass shootings occurred at three spas or massage parlors in the metropolitan area of Atlanta, Georgia. Eight people were killed, six of whom were Asian women, and one person was wounded. The culprit was a 21-year-old white man. Now, the media have given a lot of attention to his excuse for the murders, basically saying that he was a remorseful sex addict and also a sheriff who was initially giving media briefings on the crimes said the killer was well he was having a bad day but there's a lot of pushback of people saying these shootings were a hate crime and in the backdrop of rising anti-asian sentiment in the u.s um, but also increasingly around the world given this covid pandemic let us go now to a short clip of from msnbc i think it was responsible for the press conference that the sheriff's office did to basically promote a narrative that could potentially be false. I mean, justice may be blind, but that doesn't mean she's stupid. And so when you put out into a potential jury pool that this shooter says that this was not racially motivated, but then you hear that the shooter's own family turned him in, have we heard whether or not the shooter's family is going to corroborate that this was not a racially motivated crime? The cops have to do an investigation, Joy. They need to look at his social media history, his organization alliances and affiliations. But ultimately, the cops have charged him with eight counts of murder for the eight counts of the, the poor victims in this case. But then the state attorney's office or the district attorney's office is going to look at the evidence as well. But that doesn't preclude the sheriff's office from actually saying that these were hate crimes, that that these were racially motivated and that these were the result of the killer in this case wanting to target intentionally Asian victims. I mean, Joy, this was not a random indiscriminate crime. This man got in his car and he went to these locations to target Asian women. And I saw it was so again, I think it was irresponsible for law enforcement to kind of put into public consumption today the idea that this guy has a sex addiction and he had a bad day. I think that dehumanizes our victims and it makes it problematic for a prosecution later on if a jury pool thinks, you know what, these were just sex workers. We haven't heard that either. And so to kind of affiliate right. it right now, I think from a prosecution standpoint, is really a bad idea. Alrighty, so now I'd like to welcome our guest. I'd like to welcome Arlene Anoye, who was born and raised in Los Angeles and attended Los Angeles Unified Schools. Um, her grandparents immigrated from Japan to Boyle Heights and in the uh, Los Angeles, and her fa family were incarcerated during World War II. Um, she is a secretary at UTLA, the local teachers union, and actually led that union bargaining team through an historic strike and contract fight. But uh, Harleen, I know her not only from her union work, but also the many, many years she has spent being a community organizer, human rights activist, a parent, educator, multicultural and human rights specialist and leader in progressive educational reform. Arlene, welcome back to the show. Oh, thank you so much, Margaret. I'd also like to welcome uh, Dr. Uh, Karen Umamoto. Professor Umamoto's research centers on issues of democracy and social justice in multicultural societies with a focus on the United States. She also examines and pursues planning processes that include a diverse array of voices, 
acknowledges different ways of knowing and allows for meaningful deliberation. She's also concerned about the structural, procedural, and relational obstacles to attaining a just and democratic uh, society. Currently, Professor Umemoto is the Helen and Morgan Chu Chair and Director of the UCLA Asian American Studies Center and Professor of Urban Planning and Asian American Studies. Dr. Karen Umemoto, welcome. Thank you. Uh, we'll actually start with you because um, it's, it's important that uh, we put this discu discussion and this uptick um, or of attacks against uh, the AAPI community in some context. I mean, there's been a long history, and I'm sure Arlene will be able to share some of that with us. And um, even, you know, going back, looking at the Dr. Seuss books um, that are being criticized for anti-Asian racism, Jay Leno just had to come out and make an apology uh, for the jokes that he made at the expense of AAPI communities. So uh, just put this, um, uh, Dr. Karen Umamoto, in an historic context. Yeah, thank you very much. And it's really an honor to be on your show. Um, Asian American exclusion is kind of a theme throughout Asian American history. And, you know, from the earliest um, 18, uh, 1875 uh, Page Act that restricted Asian women from immigrating to the U.S., um, to the Cable Act and to um, the incarceration of Japanese Americans, uh, and uh, killing of Vincent Chin. I mean, there's there there are examples all throughout history that many people don't know about because the history uh, of Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders are so scant in you know U.S. Uh, history textbooks. Uh, we don't really talk about Asian Americans' um, current issues in, in our schools. So there's such a lacking of knowledge throughout this country about Asian Americans, and that's why we're still considered this perpetual foreigner. And I think that's, um, that rings true today. Yeah, absolutely. And um, Arlene Anoya bringing you into this discussion here. You know, it was just horrible. I was reading a story just this morning in the um, Washington Post, I think it was, of an, uh, a man who had died and in Orange County, uh, California, and, uh, you know, the day of his memorial, his family received a letter, a really horrible uh, letter about, well, this is just one um, less Asian, right? And, you know, you know, New York Times has an article about helping um, her Korean-American daughter um, to uh, lo love her identity and also how to fight back against racism. Um, Arlene Anoya, your your thoughts on on these attacks and the impact that is happening on your community? Yes, thank you, Margaret. It is an honor to be with you again. Um, the Asian Pacific Islander community, which is you know very diverse and isn't monolithic. I mean, there's a great deal of grieving going on right now. There's a lot of pain. There's a tremendous amount of fear. Uh, because of the random attacks and the, the violence at the massage parlor is the largest number of a API women or APIs ever uh, murdered in one instance. Although, of course, there's a historical genocide 
of, of our colonialism, you know, across the globe in the Philippines, Guam, Samoa, and all the imperialistic wars uh, that we don't connect as like legalized murders. But coming back to this this particular moment, you know, there's there is a national conversation, an unprecedented national conversation that we've never seen before, uh, and it is raising the levels of awareness, but again, the pain, the grief, the fear, and the anger, uh, because now I think for we have a clear understanding of white supremacy and how what our experience is as APIs is the institutional racism and sexism, xenophobia, you know, the attitude towards foreigners, uh, all of that is a part of what we're seeing played out now. And so I think uh, it is an opportunity right now that we have not seen before to really build those alliances and coalitions and take actions to, to really address this in a way we haven't before. Yes, and uh, back to you, Dr. Uh, Karen Umamoto. You know, much has been made about, we know there's always interest in dividing up communities of color, having one against other. And the narrative that, well, Asian Americans are doing so well, you know, very wealthy, and not only that, because of some of the high profile um, legal uh, battles about around the whole issue of uh, affirmative action, you know, at Harvard in in the um, the, the UC system in California, um, where a case was made that well, Asian Americans are being discriminated against um, because they tend to have high test scores, et cetera, et cetera. So to try to bring in more. Um, you know, students of color, that that is discrimination against Asian Americans. But this is just kind of exacerbated um, that divide and doesn't quite paint the reality of what the situation is on the ground, Dr. Karen Umemoto. Yeah, thank you. Um, there is that stereotype. There's been that stereotype for, for many years um, that Asian Americans are the model minority, that, you know, we, we were all successful and and um, I think that that's been divide, very divisive. And I think that model minority trope has always been used as a wedge, particularly against between whites, you know, to wedge us between um, uh, between to wedge Asians between um, with pe- against people of color, other people of color. So um, there's a lot of education that we need to do about. You know, the history of Asian Americans, there's a big difference between immigrants and refugees. We're a bifurcated community economically, where you have some people who are quite wealthy and many people who suffer the same uh, ills of poverty that other groups do. And that has to do with the history of immigration law and many other, many other factors. So, but yes, that's, and there are also misconceptions about Asians, um, there are Asian Americans who support um, this kind of movement against affirmative action, but the majority of Asian Americans are supportive of affirmative action, and and that's a fact that often gets lost. And I think we have to do more within the Asian American community to educate our fellow Asian Americans about the fact that these affirmative action 
policies were won through the civil rights movement, the same civil rights movement that also led to immigration reform that allowed some of these same people to even come here in the first place. So there's just so much education to do. Um, and I really share a worry, <laughs> if I can, about sure. the focus on hate crime legislation, because I think that, especially um, with this most recent attack, so many people are kind of hanging their hat on the hope that this will be uh, tried, prosecuted as a, and convicted as a hate crime, but that and that that issue of, of hate crime has become a symbol of kind of acceptance, inclusion, and treatment, you know, with dignity for Asian Americans. And I think that uh, I see kind of a slow train wreck happening because hate, most the majority of um, these hate incidents are not uh, crimes. And so your this this um, latest mass shooting is not a, 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 a more accurate representation of the kinds of incidents that are happening. Um, majority of hate crimes in the U.S. Um, are not reported. In fact, um, there's like only 5% of um, hate incidents that are reported to the National Crime Victimization Survey are actually recorded as hate hate crimes um, in, you know, according to, to law enforcement agencies. So anyway, there's just, uh, and the majority of people who are going to get caught in the net of increased sanctions are black and brown bodies. And I think we're going to see an increased criminalization of um, black, indigenous, and people of color uh, if we put more, if we broaden the definition of hate crimes and if we increase surveillance, um, partly because of the fact that a lot of the jurisdictions that um, experience hate crimes are in the hands of law enforcement agencies who do not necessarily have an interest in prosecuting, investigating and prosecuting hate crimes in which um, the perpetrators are white. And so you're asking a law enforcement system plagued with um, racism itself to, to you know, police racism. And so yeah. I think there's so many things that are problematic about um, seeing hate crime legislation as a panacea. Right. And, and Arlene, uh, there's so much to unpack here. Um, recently, we did a, actually a roundtable uh, earlier this week with a group of sex workers, um, one, two of whom were women of Asian descent. And uh, Red Canary Song um, an, an organ, a sex worker rights organization, um, they put out a call. They are opposed, I suppose, picking up on, on the point uh, that was just made by Dr. Umemoto against the call for increased policing, um, which they don't think will be helpful at all. But there's also, one could also see the balancing act of, of what's happening here, of people saying, well, this is a hate crime against Asian American people. I'm talking about the shootings at the spa in particular 
particular, which indeed it is. Um, it just so happens that it was also an attack on women, which indeed it is. Uh, it was, and an attack on Asian American women, which it was. But layered on top of that is just the assumption that the women were uh, sex workers. And I'll just read you something that Red Canary Song says. <laughs> Whether or not they were actually sex workers or self-identified under that label, we know that as massage workers, they were subjected to sexualized violence stemming from the hatred of sex workers, Asian women, working class people, and immigrants. And and Arlene, you cert your family certainly has that history of, you know, what happened of Asian Americans being, you know, rounded up and basically put in a concentration camp. Uh, similarly, German Americans, that did not happen to them. Uh, and then there's this whole racial uh, sexualization issue that is happening and reflected in what happened in the spa killings. Um, just your thoughts on all this, Arlene. Yes, uh, thank you, Margaret. The intersectionality between race and, and gender has, you know, always been there. We didn't have the words for it. I, I knew that, you know, the uh, objectification, the dehumanization, the erotization, and the, uh, you know, the all of the stereotypes that API women have undergone over our years uh, has really impacted us. And I think that we're, what we're seeing is, again, that played out in, in the murders. But I really uh, I agree so wholeheartedly with what Karen said, that we don't want to just focus on, you know, the hate crime or the murder because this is systemic. And, you know, when you look at it, you can look at the individual, you know, who killed somebody, Mr. Long, in this case, and, uh, you know, yeah, he's a racist and he's a sexist and so forth, but it takes us away from really analyzing what's going on in, uh, with the uh, racism, the historical and institutional racism that is the foundation of this country. And I want to just share a little bit about my own personal feelings as a third-generation Asian Pacific Islander woman, as a Japanese-American that, yeah, our family went through uh, the internment, the incarceration, and it was not talked about until much later. But what, you know, what strikes me is that you, you know, my, my grandmother got, went crazy. She got mentally ill from the experience. Uh, I had an aunt who contracted tuberculosis in camp. She was only 20 years old, and she died. Um, and there were just layers of pain that my family was never able to process and uh, work through. And so we grew up with that model minority, you know, let's pull ourselves up by the bootstraps, we can do it. Uh, and it's an, again, an individual approach. And so we, we deny ourselves, we minimize ourselves, the culture is to, you know, honor our, our family. And so we, I felt very alone. Uh, and I think that when we see ourselves individually alone is when we are so powerless. But being able to, to understand the historical uh, way that the black power movement and the civil rights struggle uh, really led to the minority myth and uh, suppressing activism. 
suppressing black power, suppressing social programs, and, and pitting a wedge between us with a hierarchical system that was construction, constructed and manufactured, very intentional. Everything that's been done was very intentional. So, um, you know, understanding these roots and these systems has been uh, something that I think the API movement is really waking up to in a way that we've never done before. We're talking to our children. Our children understand it even more, and our grandchildren. So it's, it's this pivotal time, I think, in this, in this moment of history to understand that, yeah, we're not going to be focusing on individual hate. I mean, we know what Trump did and how he, as the ex-president, uh, created uh, the foment of anti-Asian attacks and hatred and, you know, and deportations and, and everything that goes along with that. But again, it's, it's not new. It's been happening, like you said, since the beginning of our history in this country. Uh, and there is a great amount of pain when we reflect on our ancestors and what the struggles have been. But also, there's resilience. Our community is very resilient. And there's also solidarity. And being in the labor movement, it's been very exciting to see how we come, we've come out strongly against racism uh, and, and sexism. But we have taken a stand for our students who are predominantly Latino and predominantly black, Latinx and black. And, um, you know, with this pandemic, we've kept our communities as safe as we could and bargain hard and continue to bargain hard. So it's all connected to how we change our system because, again, the labor movement and unions have been very racist throughout history. But we are now in a position to create the kind of changes within by coming together in solidarity through mutual aid, through organizations that bring everyone together to understand we're, we're all fighting the same core of white supremacy. Absolutely. On that note, um, Dr. Karen Umamoto and Arlena Noye, I'm afraid we are out of time, but we'll have you back because we need to uh, continue uh, this really, really important conversation. And, and uh, Dr. Karen, just to say, we know historically of uh, the uh, Asian woman very, very close to, to Malcolm X and the role that Asian Americans played in, in winning uh, the first ethnic studies program at San Francisco State. We want to thank both of you for joining us, but I am going to have to uh, wrap things up. Thank you for joining us.